You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome to the Hereford Network. This is 1881, the American Hereford Association's podcast. And we're excited today to bring you one of our special guests, uh, our very first episode of 1881. I'm the host for this, and my name is Shane Bedwell. I serve as the Chief Operating Officer and Director of Breed Improvement. And today, a way that we're going to kick off 1881 is with uh, Jack Ward. Jack, welcome. It's good to have you on. Well, thank you, Shane. And this is kind of groundbreaking uh, for both of us, right, Uh, to be part of a podcast and uh, excited uh, to get this uh, voyage started and uh, appreciate the work you're going to do here. Absolutely, Jack, and uh, I know the folks uh, listening uh, will really enjoy your uh, your story and uh, how, uh, how you got to this position in leading the American Hereford Association, but first we kind of want to give a little bit of a background on what 1881 will be about and uh, how the name came about. And um, any of you that follow the history and the rich history of our association, uh, 1881 was when we first started registering Hereford cattle, and um, that uh, is some time ago, and there was some history prior to that that we'll get into in this episode, but uh, 1881 means a lot to us and means a lot to our breeders. Uh, we are a long-standing breed association, one of the oldest uh, in the history of uh, breed associations and so what this uh, 1881 channel is going to dive into is the breeds the rich history and how we've impacted the beef industry and we're going to dive into some of the great faces and the names behind the breed and uh, let you learn a little bit more about the people and then uh, about some of the times and uh, progress that we've made uh, within the breed We'll bring you content from cattlemen and women of all ages um, that uh, have had an impact uh, on our breed, and uh, we look forward to sharing the rich tradition and history about uh, the American Hereford Association through 1881. So, Jack, uh, let's let's jump into a little bit of your story, and uh, let's let's go back to to the, the very beginning of uh tell us a little bit about jack ward and where you grew up and uh and how it all started for you well uh it's uh it is a little bit of history now i'm getting up there a little bit in age uh but uh my story would be similar to a lot and you know i i started out uh as uh the sixth child in a family of seven in indiana on a diversified farming operation and uh over time, uh, my family moved around the state of Indiana. My dad uh, took various jobs of managing some farms. Uh, but all along the way, uh, it was always involved with uh, livestock and the seed stock cattle business. And so I've, I've been involved with that my entire life uh, and uh, certainly had some uh, very uh, excellent uh uh, people, mentors, including my parents, as well as uh, since coming from a big family background, a lot of support uh, from family members. But 
my love for the livestock business and seed stock business grew over time. I was a 4-H and FFA member and back in Indiana. Uh, both of those programs were really strong, and I was very, very fortunate, even though uh, my family moved around a little bit uh, over time, that uh, there was some really great 4-H uh, clubs and, and obviously older and into my high school career, the FFA uh, portion of my life was um, really strong with some great uh, teachers and advisors in, in those programs. But, you know, I developed, uh, we showed cattle, showed all li all types of livestock. I showed sheep and pigs and cattle, uh, both uh, market and, and breeding stock, and loved it all. I uh, enjoyed it all very, very much. And uh, I think I've shared with you, Shane, over time that uh, just as today uh, most of our youth get to participate in these jackpot uh, uh, cattle shows or livestock shows uh, throughout the spring and summer months. Uh, what we did when I was in high school is we went to judging contests. And loaded up and went. <laughs> loaded up and went. And, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, of course, Purdue University at the time uh, was uh, very strong in livestock judging. Obviously still does have some history there, but uh, uh, they supported those programs, those contests, and, and I really enjoyed um my time uh, judging, and again, those FFA advisors were very critical. But I had a couple brothers that were really good at it and older brothers that pushed me along and helped me. Uh, I'll never forget my very first set of oral reasons uh, when one of my older brothers told me to. Uh, he wanted to listen to me talk. Uh, we went into the room in one of our houses, and basically I just started talking like a judge. I was judging a show. Wow. And <laughs> he kind of sat there and enjoyed it for a little bit, and then he stopped me and and said okay uh that's really good uh yeah. but that's not how you present yourself at a at a livestock judging contest and honestly shane that was probably i was probably in the fourth fifth grade at the time honestly and and really picked it up and enjoyed it started competing and going a little bit to these different contests and uh it grew from that uh then uh honestly i think it was uh kind of through my middle school years and high school years uh had a gentleman by the name of craig sherman uh that was referred to as tank uh was a, a gentleman that uh, took a few of us under his wing at the time he was the assistant coach for dr hunsley at purdue sure. yep. and uh he was a very successful um collegiate uh, livestock judge and for whatever reason he kind of took us under his arm and, and took us and grew us uh, one of the best communicators I was ever around I mean just had a great voice uh, very determined and strong uh, he was a great mentor to us and over time uh, again we kept showing uh, as I got closer to my college years uh, I was uh, at our county fair, Benton County, Indiana at the time, uh, just outside of Oxford, Indiana. My dad was the manager at Brost Angus at that time, and, and uh, so we, we were in that county. And uh, the, the county fair judge that year was Dan Hogue wow. uh, from uh, Blackhawk. Yep. Uh, Black Hawk. And, uh, you know, I, I showed, and, and he at some point must have seen something worthwhile in me and uh kind of pursued talking to me after the show was over and and uh so i i ventured off to uh black hawk east and at that time shane you know junior colleges when you grew up in indiana were not very 
they, there wasn't much to a junior college uh, uh, at that time. Didn't even really know of them. I'm going to be honest with you. It was it was uh, boiler up. And, <laughs> it and was, that was boiler it. up. That's right. We we could talk to John Mintz about that someday, <laughs> right? And, and uh, share that story. But uh, any rate, uh, went to Blackhawk, and and during that time, uh, Dr. Hunsley at Purdue, where I'd planned on going back to my entire time, uh, was. Uh, um, starting to make his way into his next part of his life. He went to work for the American Shorthorn Association as the CEO, and and so it changed a little bit. But my time at Blackhawk was incredible. Uh, I had, uh, Dan was ob- obviously a great coach, but uh, one of the things that I remember about Blackhawk is it just opened up the doors. Uh, we traveled uh, extensively, got to see some of the most incredible seed stock uh, firms, including cattle and sheep and hogs. Uh, and uh, there was a short, very short time in my life where we had to judge horses at uh, Houston that I got to visit some great horse places too, but that was kind of short-lived. And uh, my judging career in the horses was over very quickly. It ended there. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, did go from Blackhawk and, and had some, and made, a, as you would expect in college life, some great uh friends and relationships and um, it built from there went to Purdue and finished up my um, undergraduate degree and and uh, I did not judge on the senior college level yeah you know Shane we've we've had this uh, little bit of uh, trivia with people a little bit it was you know and it's it's an interesting story because uh, as I'd mentioned to you I judge competitively uh, from being in the fourth, fifth grade, and uh, I, I, I had gotten tired of it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the everyday draw of it. It's like everything, and uh, I remember uh, Dan Hogue sitting me down in his office my sophomore year at Blackhawk and telling me that uh, if I uh, didn't judge on a senior college level, I would never be able to judge a nationally competitive show. And uh, <laughs> suppose that little little bit of a fire in you. Yeah, so it kind of kind of did, and uh, kind of grew from there. But I enjoyed my time at Purdue. I I paid my way through college, as I mentioned to you. I came from a big family. Uh, uh, the resources, other than the just the love that my parents had and and support that my parents had for anything that we wanted to do as kids, uh, financially, we kind of had to make our own way through. But uh, with that said. Uh, I, I can also be very honest with you. I had a couple brothers uh, that uh, when I needed a little extra money to fly to Houston to the judging contest or whatever, uh, they stepped right up and were yeah. very, very supportive of uh, what I needed and what I wanted to do. So got done at uh, uh, Purdue and uh, got my degree in economics, ag economics, and uh, ventured off to the University of Kentucky, honestly, for for a semester and uh, thought I would want to work on my uh, master's a little bit. Uh, got connected uh, with some great people uh, in Kentucky, Dr. Newell Hicks and and um, uh, Tom Yeary, um, Tommy Yeary, and uh, some, some others where I, I got to working on Angus cattle, uh, seed stock uh, in my spare time at the university and then went full time with that crowd. And uh, I, I think... Uh, Shane, and I've shared this with many others, uh, my time in Kentucky or just outside of Lexington was really an incredible time in my life. I lived in a barn and uh, 
uh, got to do what I wanted to do, and that was work on a seed stock uh, place. And, and uh, I think my paycheck from month to month was about $500 Is that of right? pay, plus the barn room to live in, and, yep. then, and then a commission uh, uh, for any of the cattle that I could sell. And it was one of the greatest times of my life, I'll be honest with you. That that area of the country is incredible. Uh, it's a beautiful area. Uh, cattle is uh, kind of king. Oh, I shouldn't say king. Obviously, the horses, horses are king. I was going to say, Jack, you're back to the horses. <laughs> yeah, the horses. You can't are there. get away from. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. It was good, and it was a beautiful drive across uh, uh, there. And when you went to visit places and the history and the beautiful area, and uh, but I enjoyed that time. Uh, Doctor Hicks. Uh, uh, got sick and and we had to disperse. But it's been interesting, uh, just very quickly to tell that story. Um, when I went to uh, Kentucky uh, to start at the university, I, I had to have a job, and uh, I somehow got connected with Robert Botkins, and Botkins pulled Herefords just sure. outside of Lexington, uh, and I went out and worked in the afternoons mainly at uh, with Robert and his family. And uh, the veterinary there was Dr. Hicks. And uh, we were doing herd work one weekend, I believe. And I, uh, I was running cows up through the chute. And, and uh, uh, when we got done, Dr. Hicks had came to me and asked uh, uh, if I would be interested in more work. He, he kind of liked the way I worked around the cattle. And I said, well, sure, I would. And at that time, Dr. Hicks and his family uh, owned or were part owners in the bluegrass stockyards. Yep. there in Lexington, and so I would go down and uh, help run feeder cattle from wee hours of the, into wee hours of the morning where they were actually vaccinating these cattle and, uh, and getting them sorted out into semis. And so went from there to working with Dr. Hicks's wife uh, to, at her house and, and helping get things cleaned up around there till where Dr. Hicks said, you know, I've got a few of these Angus cows, and I love the Angus cows, but I don't necessarily yep. have the time to to work them and that's how I got started uh so that, I, I think that's a that's a great message um you know just uh you were doing what you could mm-hmm. at the time and uh to to eat and survive and yeah. uh doing anything you could to crawl up the ladder like so many of us have and uh it was just one of those things that uh, somebody noticed your talent yeah your work ethic and uh it, it began to open up more doors you know Shane, you couldn't be more right because it's it is interesting, and I tell this story when I speak to the youth. Is you always have to do your best uh, because you never know who's watching. And to further that story a little bit, as I was working at at Dr. Hicks's uh, farm, uh, you know, my love for the livestock judging and the teams kind of kept kept growing uh, or was still there and so we'd host a workout for the uh, for anybody that was headed to the North American for their for the national contest yep. and um, and because of our location it was an easy stop for me real handy uh, and uh, one day uh, and I knew Dr. John Edwards who at the time was a coach at uh, Texas A&M yep. University and he stopped by and and when they got done with their work working through the classes that day at our at our farm uh he came up to me and he said hey i want to introduce you to someone that i think uh your your guys's paths might cross someday and uh it was craig huffines oh my gosh <laughs> and it is kind of true uh you know you just never know where it goes and of course i i went on after we left uh uh 
Kentucky, or I left Kentucky. Uh, within a couple of years, uh, I had, uh, uh, Marianne and I finally got uh, married in 1991. And uh, we had two sons, and her and I worked uh, together on, on some uh, Angus cattle farms, a managing partner. But uh, in, in the, in the uh, winter of uh, 2003, about right now, right now in 2003, uh, Shane, I got a call from Craig. Huffines and came full circle. Yeah, he at the time obviously had, uh, was the executive vice president here at the Hereford Association, and he uh, called me and and wanted to know if I would ever consider uh, doing work for a breed association. And uh, so he flew in to uh, uh, South Bend, Indiana, and met with Marianne and I, and uh, within a week we had uh, agreed to do that. And uh, so it was a big life-changing moment for uh, my family, for sure. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so we, you know, I really got uh, uh, involved or started with Hereford, at, or hired by Hereford in the, in the spring of 2003. Of course, we were, were managing and had a Angus cow herd there in Indiana, and so we had to make plans for dispersal and, and finding a house out here and uh, making all those arrangements. But we moved this way in, in August of 2003, and I've been with the Hereford Association ever since. So you, uh, your, your first job here would have been uh, Director of Breed Improvement, Chief Operating Officer. And so tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the – you know, the things that you would have implemented and worked on, Jack, uh, during that uh, first part of your tenure. You bet, Shane. And, and as you could expect, it was exciting. I, um, I loved the seed stock business, but I had spent my entire life on the production side, uh, right? So this was a new challenge for me and getting my feet uh, wet. And as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I had a degree in ag economics. I was not a geneticist, uh, but I had spent a lot of time in this business and, and kind of knew the ins and outs and kind of the tri tribulations, if you will, of, of what a seed stock producer goes through. And I would tell you that I did look very closely into the AHA before Marianne and I made this choice. Uh, uh, but, uh, they, they had done some wonderful things. And as you mentioned early on here, uh, the Hereford breed has been around for, for over a century, decades, uh, since 1881 and before here in the U S uh, and, and, uh, uh, they had great people and, and great members. I, I was very close to many of the Hereford uh, breeders as well. And so coming here was, was pretty easy for me. But at the same time, I knew that they had done some wonderful things. Uh, getting started, you know, back in 2000, 2001 with whole herd reporting and, and getting dedicated to making uh, genetic improvement. Uh, I won't lie to you, and, and I came in August of 2003, and I believe in September of 2003, uh, one of the first things I had to deal with and face was uh, a genetic abnormality by the name of uh, IE, or idiopathic epilepsy, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't imagine those phone calls. Yeah, it was interesting and and interacting with the members. But I got I also will tell you that uh, the support was wonderful. You know, uh, you know the Bieber family up in South Dakota were the ones that uh, kind of made the first report. Yeah, yeah. KMB up in Oneida, and uh, so I made a trip up there to pick up some calves that were affected. Mm -hmm. 
and got to meet uh, Ken and his family, and, and I took the time to go through the cows, and it was uh, around weaning time, of course, for them, and, and I remember getting in the, the truck. A friend of mine went with me, drove up there with me to get the calves, and I was visiting with him, and uh, I said, I'll tell you what, uh, if every Hereford farm and ranch uh, had a set of cows like the KMB cows, uh, life's going to be pretty easy. Yep. They were incredible. Right. I mean, just incredible. Uh, good quality udders, big, stout, strong calves at their side, and obviously managed by wonderful people. And and that kind of message is, yep. is kind of the same yep. uh, across most all Hereford membership, or all Hereford membership, really. We all have different uh, goals, but that that family was dedicated to making the breed better. It was obvious, and, and those were good cattle. But at uh, any rate, that's, we started with uh, Idiopac, uh, idiopathic epilepsy we did the work initial work at k-state university uh with the calves which at the time you know that was past uh dr leipold but they still had doctors in there and then working still actually with dr. Re- i actually remember those uh cattle being oh, at kansas state university <laughs> when i was yeah um there during my uh time and uh met at the purebred unit uh seeing those cattle yeah uh out and around uh, it was interesting yeah you know, and so there was a lot of work done on diagnostics and trying to find out what the problem was. Was it environmental? Was it genetic? Uh, we finally did settle in on genetic, and, and that was kind of the onset also of, uh, of genomics and genomics work. Uh, we worked with a, a, a guy by the name of Daniel Pomp, okay. uh, which uh, Daniel was really the, the forefather of what is today Neogen, mm-hmm. right? He had a business. I don't remember exactly uh, what they called it, but he did the the original genotyping, kind of did it in his uh, garage, if I remember right. Uh, but Daniel and, and a partner for, at the University of Nebraska did that work. Of course, uh, then we, at the same time, other breeds were kind of faced with the same type of or some similar issues in terms of genetic abnormalities. And so Dr. John Beaver at the time was at the University of Illinois, and, and he's the one that uh, got in there and, and actually found the markers associated with the with the gene that uh, uh, was affected. And we dealt with uh, epilepsy. We dealt with uh, diluter uh, hypotrichosis and then as you know we dealt with a couple others as yeah we've got. a few others that uh, yeah but it yeah. was different um you know even going back to the dwarfism days and some of the challenges that uh some of our membership and uh their their families have faced uh the, the advent of dna and Absolutely. testing that uh, really changed the game yeah so i would you know and it's interesting you say that uh shane because it it uh um we, when I was working through this, I remember Craig coming to my office one day, and you can, you can, obviously you can get a little depressed working through this somewhat, but uh, he brought me a book, and it was uh, called The Battle of Bull Runts, and uh, written obviously here by uh, L.P. McCanns, who was on staff at the AHA. A legend. Yeah, legend, and uh, working through the dwarfism days back in the 50s and 60s, and when he just had to get in the car and travel and look yep. and look at pedigrees and do that kind of stuff. But I would encourage anybody, you can find that book online. It's a, it's a very quick read, a short read. And, uh, Dr. McCann's and, 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 um, really bud, uh, Snido did some work in that area too, on behalf of the HA. And it was an incredible story and it kept us focused mm-hmm. on what the end goal was here mm-hmm. and to make sure that we, we did the right things to make sure the 
breed stayed uh, uh, strong and in the in the forefront of the commercial industry. So it was it was good. And you know, then we we got through that. Uh, that was kind of the onset of of DNA work. Uh, we we worked with Ronnie Green, uh, who is now uh, I believe. Uh, the president of the University right. of Nebraska, That's right. and he, at the time he worked for the USDA, and, and uh, that was the beginning of uh, uh, the full sequencing of Old Dominette, mm -hmm. right? And uh, we also had some Hereford breeders that stepped up, and we did some sequencing on some other animals. And just to show you a little bit about how that's uh, transpired over the years, and Shane, you can share the current cost, but back then we were paying ten to $15,000 an animal to get them sequenced. That's and, that, and, uh, we've come a long ways. Yeah. We we did uh, uh, about sixty there last year for three hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> and so it's yeah. uh, technology's yeah. definitely advanced us. But uh, Dominette was the first ever animal. Yeah, right. First right. Animal. She was, and and the reason for that uh, is that um, she was a Mile City Line One cow, and uh, when the uh, scientists started looking at where they could find the animal that was, um, I don't, uh, how do I want to explain this? It, that was, that was so intently bred in one, one, uh, herd and, uh, uh, from a pedigree standpoint, uh, was easy to identify and they could link everything up to her. So Dominette was the original one and she was a cow, uh, produced at, uh, Mile City, the Mile uh, City, research Montana. center. Yeah. It's done a lot of good work for the breed over the years and um, still in business today, yeah. uh, generating um, seed stock germplasm for uh, uh, several of the commercial cattlemen out there and several of our purebred breeders. Yeah, you know, and Dr. Uh, and that, that in of itself would be a very interesting story to talk about the development of the Line 1, and I'm sure you've got that on your agenda at some point in time in these podcasts, but uh, to listen to how that was done and, and developed, uh, we worked at the time, at that time, doc, uh, Dr. Mike McNeil was the scientist on staff there, and uh, you're right, uh, uh, they were producing a lot of great germplasm for the industry and, and kind of where, where it all lended back to uh, when people were talking about line one genetics, for yep. sure. So, I mean, you're, you're in the midst of whole herd reporting, data's flowing into the association. Um, you begin to kind of get a handle on uh, uh, what I would say is a, you know, was a little bit of a nemesis at the time, breeders being able to identify uh, some of the, the, the genetics that were uh, passing on some of the, the abnormalities and that was being, beginning to take shape. And uh, so let's kind of take us from there in terms of, uh, you know, where, where did you start seeing um, acceptance come back into the commercial market? Um, um, obviously, Hereford's always had a strong place in the, in the commercial industry. Um, but uh, because of the, the forward thinking of uh, boards, um, you know, with the development of whole herd reporting, you know, you started implementing uh, some carcass EPDs into the evaluation. And so talk about that, that, that time period and uh, what, what really allowed uh, the Hereford breed to get, get the steam mm -hmm. going again. 
Well, I, I think there's a number of things, Shane, that go into that. I, I tell people I was pretty lucky uh, on the timing of my uh, position at Hereford because uh, I think at the time in 2003, there'd been such an influx of of uh, of uh, Angus dominance, really, in the commercial uh, sector. And, and frankly, it, it was good for all of us uh, because it, it really forced us to pay attention to to performance recording and data and uh, keeping that end product in mind, uh, trying to grow the quality of the product. And so uh, at the same time as, as you and I, uh, we talk about this all the time and we, we understand and I think the industry understands the value of, of heterosis and, uh, and hybrid vigor and the things that it brings to us both from uh, a direct com uh, component but just maybe even more importantly if not the most important part uh, the maternal side of heterosis. So we sat down as a staff with the board, and and I I, I will tell you, uh, in the in the eighteen nineteen years that I've been here, I, we have just been blessed uh, with boards that have given us support, and I think you can see that too, uh, Shane. That uh, sometimes uh, we may get looked at that some of our ideas or thoughts as staff are kind of far fetched and a little perplexing at times, but boy, they have never turned us away and uh, I was in that position where we we had to get in there and and even though we knew heterosis and hybrid vigor worked we had to kind of reinvent it just a little bit and show the value of using a good Hereford bull uh, in these commercial programs and so over the years uh, you know you can start with the uh, Harris Ranch project uh, you can uh, go to Circle A uh, Mana Farms uh, mo more recently Simplot and then you couple that with uh, the development and the onset of this young sire test program that started in the late 90s uh, through what was really a linkage program at the time and the tenderness study at, at the Meat Animal Research Center. But, you know, all of those things kind of combined. And one of the things that we found uh, on the beginning of genomics work was the during the 2000 bull project at the Meat Animal Research Center, uh, the report showed that Hereford uh, was more unrelated to any other breed than the other breeds combined. And I'm not sure I'm explaining that just right, but basically what it says is that uh, if you want to get the most out of hybrid vigor and heterosis, the Hereford bull or the Hereford genetics can give you more heterosis pop than any other breed. Well, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, the Hereford uh, breeds had a closed book since 1881, right? That's right. And, yeah. uh, you know, as some of the other breeds kind of went to having uh, half-bloods or derivatives and uh, uh, using that as a means to propagate their their type of genetics. Uh, Hereford uh, held true to form, and uh, we are, you know, uh, as you stated, yeah. uh, the most unrelated when you, when you go to uh, make that F1 cross. And so uh, we say a lot of times that uh, that uh, punch really comes true with, with Hereford genetics and that direct uh, heterosis. was just talking to a guy uh, a couple weekends ago uh, that used Hereford genetics for the first time and, and really saw a big difference. And so that's, that's cool. And uh, as you've evolved and uh, kind of got going into your, your job more and more, obviously the board thought a lot of you and uh, the boards, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that transition uh, as Craig uh, went on um, to the 
American Quarter Horse Association uh, that left a, a void at the at the helm at the top there for executive vice president and tell us a little bit about that. You bet. Uh, and and it was and again it's uh, uh, it's just another part of my life. Again, I've enjoyed uh, enjoyed this part of of the business, the seed stock business, and uh, so in 2015, as you mentioned, uh, Craig made the announcement uh, that he was uh, uh, leaving Hereford, and you know, just give credit where credit's due. Craig did a just a wonderful job here. He started uh, by developing the honestly through a through a grad school student at CSU, the CHB program, which evolved over time. And then in uh, 19, uh, I think in the late 1990s, uh, became the executive vice president. And that was through a little bit of a tough time because the two, the Pold and Horned Associations had merged in 95 and obviously working through uh, some of those issues. And and Craig deserves a lot of credit uh, for the success of this breed and this uh, association because he fought through some difficult times and set a good a good uh, pattern for all of us but he came to to my office uh, again I think it was about this time in 2015 uh, I don't remember exactly what I was doing on the day probably looking at some carcass results from uh, Olson's at the time maybe yeah it's about the time they come in but any rate he told me and and he said boy I sure hope that you uh, will submit your name uh, in uh, to take the over the position, and so I I uh, went home and visited with Marianne, and and at that time the boys were also around and still involved, and uh, and I made the decision to do it, uh, submit my resume, and and take a stab at it, and I was fortunate enough that the board at that time uh, seen fit to uh, name me the executive uh, vice president, and it's uh, been a tremendous uh, run, and. I'm very fortunate. I love what I do, and I and it's easy, Shane, as I sit here across from you when I hire great staff in this office uh, uh, to take and move this breed forward. It makes my job easy. So I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. So in your spare time, you, you've referenced your, uh, your family, um, Marianne, mm-hmm. and then um, your two sons, mm-hmm. Carter and um, Cameron. And uh, they've they've both uh, been very successful um, growing up, you know, in the livestock uh, uh, business and um, through different activities that you guys got to uh, interact and participate as a family. So share a little bit about yeah. that with the, the listeners. You know, I as I told you, I was very fortunate. Uh, uh, Marianne and I, uh, we we were married in um, the fall of 1991, and uh, uh, we've kind of shared some up and downs part of our lives some tough times you know of how you make it as a young couple and moving on and forward but uh, we were blessed with two sons uh, as you mentioned Cameron and Carter uh, Cameron is our oldest and uh, goodness I, I I'm probably gonna lie to you but he's I believe 28 now <laughs> I think it is 28 that's sad I, I know when his birthday is but it's uh it's uh the age but he uh cameron was uh, loved always loved uh, uh the theater and acting yeah. even uh, when he was a young uh kid growing up when we were back in uh, lagrange indiana he participated uh in um 
performances, uh, uh, plays there, uh, even as a youngster, took the lead on most of them, and uh, just uh, really created a passion for that. And so Cameron was uh, our graduate from uh, both Butler Community College. What, what about that, Shane? Absolutely. Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah. In their drama and theater department, they had a wonderful one. And, and I think it was such a blessing because, as we know, uh, Butler, to us, is a, is a great judging uh, program and a good livestock program but so he had both sides of it he got to go down and spend uh, time with his buddies and uh, and also uh, study what his real love and passion was and that was drama and theater and then he went off to southern indiana university and finished up his uh, undergraduate degree and it didn't take him long after that to uh, move to new york city yep and uh, he's been there ever since and he loves it uh, you know, it's it's interesting, as I tell Marianne and I tell you, uh, you know, it's not a lifestyle we were ever around. You know, uh, Marianne grew up in Ohio. Uh, her family still owns and operates uh, a large commercial cow herd. Uh, her dad, you know, is a, uh, he's getting up there, but uh, works hard every day, manages a, a lot of cows and a lot of commercial cows. And uh, and so she she was instilled with the love of livestock. She uh, grew up in 4-H and FFA just as I did. And so our boys, uh, even though Cameron uh, doesn't have a career there, he I think he developed some pretty good skills being mm-hmm. a, a junior uh 4-H member and FFA and 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 at that time, uh, junior breed associations were very very impactful. Our kids uh, grew up a lot through there. And they were successful. Cameron uh, kind of set the groundwork uh, for Carter uh, as we went through there in terms of having some success. And then uh, Carter's our cow guy, as you know, uh, yep. Shane. Uh, he loves it. Uh, uh, he's still involved in in our family operation. Uh, at home, uh, not on a daily basis, but uh, does a lot of work there, but uh, has a lot of love for the business. And, and frankly, as you know, Shane, uh, Marianne's our, is our top uh, employee right now. <laughs> she, she does it all from feeding the cows to calving the cows. And, and uh, with my schedule and traveling time, I'm not there as much, but uh, she's not afraid to put me to work when we do get home <laughs> and get things done. So uh, we love where we are. Uh, we do run a few, uh, about 60 cows now still. And honestly, I, I don't think I could ever give my cows up even yep. with the job. It just keeps a better perspective on what's going on. In my you know, opinion. I think that's, uh, you know, what's unique about you, Jack, is that uh, you have the ability through experience to be able to relate with our membership and because you know what they're going through, whether it's snowing, negative 20 out, or it's hot and the summer heat setting in, is that uh, you are a cattleman. Uh, you've been in the trenches. You know what it's all about, um, you know, on, on uh, both sides of it. And so I, I do, I do uh, envy you uh, from that standpoint uh, that you have uh, that unique skill set to be able to relate. And uh, that's... That's what's been uh, really enjoyable about working uh, here for this great breed and uh, being being in the office. So, where do you see the breed uh, kind of going, Jack? I mean, we're we're kind of on to some different things and uh, being faced with uh, some different challenges in our industry. And uh, you know, where where do you want to see it kind of continue to? Well, I, I think that's an interesting question. Uh, 
it's is uh, I'm going to be very uh, upfront with you. When I was doing a little bit of research for our podcast here, at the start of it, I was kind of reading up a little bit on the history, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, in on our website, you'll find out that uh, Hereford cattle obviously uh, originated in Herefordshire, England, and they were f- they were formed in response to a demand that uh, uh, the people of Britain needed in terms of efficient production. Yeah, and darned. reproduction. Sounds right? familiar, right? Yeah. So we may continue to go round and round, and obviously technology changes so quickly uh, today and and where we're headed. But uh, it's still, uh, as, as we look at the future, Shane, I don't see that uh, there's going to be any uh, slowing down of uh, pressure put on us from an input standpoint. Uh, from uh, a consumer transparency standpoint and uh, what we have to do and and honestly where Hereford shines as you and I visited and we've chatted with many people out there including our board and scientists that's that's where we we can really shine and where we have a real place in this uh, business in my opinion and and the longevity of this breed I got to be quite frank with you in, in the 18, 19 years I've been here, I've never seen it so bright yeah. uh, because I, I do believe that they, it's uh, coming right down to the path of where Hereford uh, has the true benefits. And uh, we just got to build on it and uh, put ourselves in, in the programs and, and continue to work and collect the data that needs to be collected to prove the value. And so I, uh, I'm excited about it. Um, we, we, Obviously, you'll hear one side that says, you know, don't worry about this, worry about this. But we can't do that here at the association. Uh, we have to continue to look at all parts of uh, the business and production and provide the tools and the information uh, for our breeders to make the right kind of decisions for their customers. Um, because ultimately, that commercial cow guy's got to be uh, profitable and sustainable uh the feedlot industry has to be profitable and sustainable and, and the packers do as well so uh, we've got to be focused on all parts very good so modern day current day aha tell us a little bit about the day-to-day activities here at the association and kind of how it's structured um i know uh several of our membership uh hasn't made it into our our updated new office here, but we've been uh, we've been here uh, in Kansas City or the Kansas City area really since the beginning. Yeah, and uh, just tell us a little bit about um, what happens here at the office here yeah. at the the Hereford headquarters. Yeah, and you know you're right, Shane, and uh, we we did transition into this new office uh, in February of 2018. It was honestly about this time. We just did. We came home early, right? If you haven't figured out, everything (laughs) happens in February. Okay, so if you want something done, call Jack. Yeah, let him know it's going to happen. February is the time. (laughs) It was, and uh, so we had obviously just come back from our national show schedule. Uh, We we were at NCBA, and we came back, and we had we had uh, negotiated and and made closing on the sale of our office in downtown. And this is a change. I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you about uh, what what happened in 1881 when it was established. But over the years, the the association obviously typically owned their office space 
and uh, when we were negotiating to sell the property downtown, uh, we, we visited with the board as well as some legal counsel and, and kind of thought through what the best options were for us moving forward. And, you know, today, uh, Shane, we, we do more uh, at the HA with, with fewer staff than obviously they did 10 15, 20, 30 years ago, right? And so with the efficiencies and the onset of so much online uh, things, it, it created a, an opportunity for us to downsize the office uh, a little bit. We, When we were downtown, I believe the building was somewhere around 35,000 square foot. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we moved up here and, and uh, rented this space, we're somewhere around 17,000, if I remember yep. uh, for sure. But we, we definitely wanted to keep uh, the history. Uh, and, and as a side note, if you've never been to the AHA office, I would encourage you to try to make a stop in. Uh, we're right near the airport now, easy access, uh, because the the just the uh, portraits and the sculptures and the history of the breed are all in the inside the walls of this office, and it's it's really an incredible story, and and uh, certainly could uh, uh, give you a it'd be a lot of fun to just walk around and see it all. But in February of 2018, uh, we moved here. Uh, currently at the HA, between all of our entities, uh, from records uh, to uh, CHB, to our junior department, to uh, C, uh, HPI, our field staff, we employ about 40, somewhere around 40 employees. Uh, you could see um, 30 of those or so uh, in the office at any time. But uh, as, as you would expect, uh, we, do, uh, we do have a good staff, a fairly substantially sized staff, but boy, uh, do we ask a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we ask them to uh, wear a lot of different hats, uh, do a lot of different things uh, on, on behalf of the membership. And, and I, as I mentioned way back, I'm just really so proud of, of what you folks do here. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed uh, with some of the best. And I think right now, absolutely uh, have, have got as good a staff as I've ever seen here at the HA uh, in the 19 years that uh, we've been doing. But, you know, one of the side notes, uh, the average everyday work uh, is is good. Uh, obviously, for me, one of the biggest challenges has been uh, uh, negotiating through this pandemic over the last couple of years. Right. You know, uh, getting uh, people in and out and making sure everybody's safe and healthy and uh, and giving everybody the confidence to come in here and continue to work. But uh, again, the staff has just been wonderful as, as we've done that. We've never had a setback, in my opinion, in terms of uh, services to the membership through these two years. Yep. I don't think so undoubtedly been resilient and uh, our crew's done a, a really good job and uh, you've done a good job of leading us through that so you're kind of in the middle because uh, you might speak a little bit you know you're you're leading the staff and then you answer to uh, a board that's right, right. 12 member board mm -hmm. uh, that's been in place here um, for quite some time right and I know that's changed a little bit over the years and through the merger but uh might speak a little bit to that. Yeah, I think we touched a little bit on it. Uh, the HA is governed uh, by a 12-member board, uh, and uh, those uh, we have three that are elected each year, and they serve four-year terms. Uh, 
there is a term limit on that, but uh, if there is uh, someone that wants to rerun, if they set out a year or two, uh, they can rerun for the board. And uh, it's elected each fall uh, during our annual meeting, um, typically the very end of October, somewhere around the 20th, uh, 25th uh, to the end of October. And uh, again, I, I have really been very fortunate. Uh, uh, I think the, the board of the HA is, is just always been made up of some really sound minds uh, from uh, uh, large producers uh, to smaller producers that uh, have some expertise in, in, a, in a different area. And yet at the same time, uh, it's always uh, encouraging because I absolutely would tell you they always have the same uh, motive in mind, and that is to make uh, the Hereford breed better. And um, so it's, it's been, it's really been a lot of fun. And from the time I was in your position, Shane, of uh, breed improvement, working with that committee, uh, to now uh, working with all the different and various committees and, and the full board, it's, uh, it's uh, been just a tremendous trip for sure. Well, Jack, you could definitely write a book with all the experiences and uh, the people that you've worked with here at the association and uh, the board uh, that we have today is certainly a good one and uh, definitely enjoy working with them and uh, on the next chapter of, of what uh, is to come with the Herford breed. Yeah, you're right, Shane, and uh, it has been a great experience, uh, as we mentioned a couple times, and uh, very fortunate to be able to do what I, I love doing. And, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, Shane, and we've mentioned, we've talked about this a little bit uh, over time, uh, from when I started uh, at the HA in 2003, and uh, honestly, uh, just uh, beginning to get comfortable with the computer in front of me, right, and seeing all the changes in the staff to... Uh, the registry work. Uh, now uh, we've moved uh, staff members and added uh, different people in different positions that I didn't even know that would even exist back in 2003. And today we're having a podcast, the very first one at the association. And uh, I really am appreciative for you uh, and the staff for stepping up to do this and sharing uh, the story of the Hereford breed. And over time, uh, I think you're going to have some great uh, guests that talk about the benefits of Hereford Cattle and uh, talk a little bit more about the history. But Shane is the uh, voice of 1881. Uh, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit of your story so they know what to expect moving forward? You bet. Uh, so I, I grew up um, part of a family uh, cow-calf ranch and grain ranch in south-central Kansas. And uh, family's been in the cattle business uh, in the fifth generation. And uh, we... Uh, Grew up uh, raising stalker cattle, uh, small cow-calf operation, and uh, my granddad ran the cell barn uh, there in Medicine Lodge, uh, Kansas, uh, for 30 years, and uh, got to interact and learn that side of the business, and uh, spent many of Friday afternoons and sometimes all day Fridays, uh, not in school, but uh, at the cell barn, and uh, those were some fond memories. Were those excused absences? Uh, most of the time they they were, uh, depending on my grades. And uh, most of the time my grades were pretty good, Jack. But, uh, you know, as long as I was keeping up in school, uh, Mom would let me go down and uh, help Dad. Dad was uh, kind of the guy in the back uh, doing all the sorting. 
And uh, that that was kind of really where I first started learning to evaluate and kind of picked up a passion for judging. And I always admired how quick he could uh, sort animals and make that decision when uh, you had a 850 pound yearling steer barreling right down yet to the gate and uh, a lot of life lessons learned on the end of a gate uh, going in and out and so you had to be quick and and make those decisions but uh, kind of from there uh, dad and I started evolving our uh, our cow calf uh, side of the operation granddad uh, built on a backgrounding yard and um, we kind of started making our own uh, lane in it and we we definitely like the cow calf uh, side of it along with the stalker deal we have a lot of wheat back home Mm -hmm. and uh, we use that as a a forage uh, resource and uh, you can put a lot of pounds on those stalker calves and uh, that continued to be a big part uh, through the summer uh, going to grass with those cattle but i really fell in love with the cow calf business and uh, we started building our herd there in the the middle 90s and uh, you know uh, built it uh, on up to you know running a little over 500 cows uh, back at home uh, today and and my dad does it uh, with uh, some good neighbor help and uh, then my granddad is uh, 82 and still involved in the operation and then I have an uncle uh, that kind of makes up our operation but uh, I got involved uh, in FFA, that was really, uh, you know, we had a we had a strong 4-H club, but it seemed like we were so busy uh, at the ranch or cutting wheat during the summer and different things. I didn't show livestock, didn't show uh, kind of growing up there uh, during my younger years, but got into high school. I uh, had a great mentor that was actually the uh, instructor of um, my dad, and uh um, Mr. Poland was my, uh, ag advisor or FFA instructor there in, in high school and, uh, got to spend two years with him and then he finally retired. Mm. And, um, you know, and so that, that was a, a neat, uh, neat man, uh, taught me a lot, um, uh, work ethic and, uh, doing the things that you've got to do to be successful. And, uh, some of those same, uh, same values that I learned from him or, are still applied today uh, through a judging contest, uh, competed, Judge Dairy, uh, Judge Livestock uh, there in high school, Kansas Beef Expo, 1999, Butler County that we referenced there earlier uh, were the officials. Uh, Chris Molnix and uh, his team were there, happened to talk the high set of reasons, and before that, I was planning to go to Kansas State University, just like what most uh kansas kids growing up in the state uh you do not go to ku but you go to kansas state <laughs> if you want to learn about agriculture and uh, carry on that rich tradition unless you play basketball right That's now, they... <laughs> th- there was actually one guy from medicine lodge that played uh played basketball at ku uh, okay. uh, bh born but for all you history buffs out there but uh i was on path i i thought you know kansas state uh grew up watching bill snyder football on tv and uh just loved that on, who'd you uh, listen to mitch holtis <laughs> mitch holtis the voice of the kansas city chiefs so it's just actually mitch 
got his start on a local radio show in Pratt, Kansas. Wow. Just north of Medicine Lodge, 30 miles. And so I've been listening to Mitch for a long time um, <laughs> in different uh, segments. And so it's kind of come full circle a, a little bit. But, um, you know, I was planning to go to Kansas State University and uh, just go straight there uh, right out of high school. Uh, I took a tour of Butler County Community College and uh, figured out that, uh, hey, you know, I can I can go to school for two years, get most of it paid for, and travel the country, getting to see all these uh, great livestock operations and compete. And I, I did enjoy the competition side of it. I wasn't very good when I first started. And uh, I've got to give a lot of credit to Chris um, for kind of uh, giving me the structure That'd be Chris Molnix, right? Chris Molnix, yeah. yep, that's now at Kansas State University. But Chris, uh, that was kind of on the start of his run there at Butler County Community College. And the and the friends uh, that are still in uh, my circle today uh, would have been those same roommates sure. and that peer group uh, that uh, got to meet there in those first few years. So after Butler, uh, continued my education at Kansas State University earned a bachelor's degree in animal science and industry and a minor in, in business and uh, really enjoyed Kansas State. was part of the 20, 2003 uh, Reserve uh, National Champion Team under Dr. Scott Shockey. You know, I'll stop you. I got a little story there, too, as you talk to me about my history. Uh, Scott and I go back a long ways as well. He had... Uh, he was working on his PhD at the University of Kentucky when I first moved. That's right. There yep. in Lexington, and so he and his wife Candy and I became very close friends. And uh, he's uh, a good friend, still a good friend. Yep. And I, you know, um, Doctor Shockey, uh, owe a lot to him. I mean, just a great guy to travel up and down the road with. A guy that did it with class and uh, had a long career. Um, and it was because he was a great teacher, you know, and I uh, really admired that between both him and Chris. You know, it motivated me to continue on and, um, you know, try to take a role in coaching. I didn't know what that would necessarily lead to. Um, it led me to the University of Illinois, and uh, I worked uh, alongside with uh, Dr. Dan Scheich, as he was finishing up his Ph.D., we shared a graduate student um, office together. Actually, Dr. Alan Miller mm. uh, was part yeah. of that group um, there. Um, he wasn't in the office uh, quite as much <laughs> as we were, but he had a little bit different appointment as yeah. he was working on it. But uh, we uh, had some great friends that we met there. And then part of my assistantship uh, was not only teaching classes, but also helping coach. And uh, that was a great experience. Got to work on some great research projects there uh, that we still use today. And um, from there, after three years of coaching and, and teaching there, finished up my master's uh, degree, actually in beef cattle nutrition. And uh, Colorado State University had an open position, and I headed west. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I started uh, at Colorado State in the fall of 2007, and my first team would have been in 2008, coached for eight years, uh, eight different teams, and uh, it was it was a blast. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the you know it's it is a small circle in this business, but uh, you know 
Craig Huffines being there and then, you know, completing that, that circle here. And uh, now Craig's back yeah. at CSU. Yeah. You know, it it is a, a neat deal. But, you know, the history of Colorado State University, uh, I got to be involved in, in several different groups and industry activities and um, just a great joy. And my, my biggest accomplishment um, out there was meeting my wife. Yeah. <laughs> And exactly. so, uh, Lacey, uh, we, we met and we're, we're married there in, uh, 2011. We started our family there in, um, the Fort Collins area, have, uh, two children, Celie Rose and Chisholm. And, um, you know, kind of your, your story is very similar to mine, Jack. And that, um, one day I was in my office, it was not February, <laughs> it was actually June, I believe. Yeah. And uh, we were uh, preparing to host the state 4-H livestock judging contest. And um, you sent me an email. And prior to prior to that, I'd really, you know, I'd kind of, you know, I, I, I knew who you were. Hadn't been around you a whole lot. I think, um, you know, the first time that I was around you a whole lot, we had you out uh, judging mm-hmm. at the Green and Gold Showdown. Right. And uh, picked you up from the airport. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where my, my first time interaction, but Jack sends this email and, uh, it's about two or three sentences long and I'm pretty short. He's like, Hey, you know, you think, uh, what do you think about maybe working for the association? <laughs> I about fell out of my chair folks, because I hadn't really, you know, you know, you kind of get so siloed into your own zone, um, you know, and you're thinking about, okay, we've got this state contest, and then what's the next team? Who's the next team? And, you you know, you'd kind of worked on a, uh, you know, a, a trajectory there at, at Colorado State and, um, you know, so forth. And it really took me back, and uh, I called Lacey right away and then started talking to some more people, and they're like, you know, you, you probably should do this. Of course, my wife's from Colorado. Yeah, she's so, kind of a native. Yeah, <laughs> you, you just uh, you, you never, how's the saying go? Yeah, you just you never take the you can take the girl out of Colorado, but you can't take the the Colorado <laughs> out of the, the girl. girl. That's yeah. still true today kind of, because the, I think she's a Broncos fan, isn't she? She kind of <laughs> likes the Broncos, <laughs> and she does not like the Missouri humidity. <laughs> well, you don't yeah. either. So. <laughs> well. It's a, it's an acquired taste. It is. It's an yeah. acquired taste. But yeah. um, you know, I um, I'll never forget that day. And then uh, you know, we met, and um, y- you uh, told me what the job entailed. And um, you said, you know, this job wears a lot of hats, and mm. it, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I like about it uh, is that there's always something going on. Um, get to be a part of a lot of great. Uh, activities here at the office through our various departments and um you know it's a great pleasure working for the american herford association you know in the in the breed improvement role absolutely well it was uh kind of a stab i i uh tell people uh about Shane coming here i didn't uh post a job description uh i didn't uh uh, do anything outside of just trying to identify someone that I knew that uh, 
had the background like Shane did, understood the the commercial business, uh, could speak to our producers uh, because uh, we've you've talked several times, Shane, about the Hereford breed and its breeders. Uh, they're not only committed uh, to using the tools, but they're good stockmen. And uh, that's uh, what I say, that we have someone in this position that understands them, and uh, you do that very well. Not to mention, uh, I did call on my uh, good friend Scott Shockey about you before we, we visited, and... Uh, Asked him what he thought, and he was speechless. <laughs> I don't think I have ever had him that, speechless that's before. That's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do, but uh, he uh, encouraged me to pursue uh, pursue it, and it did move fast. I mean, I, I think I was actually accepted the position in May, and uh, I knew how important that position was. And uh, we needed to get the right person in place, and we did so. So we're going to have a lot of fun here. You will, and I'll be anxious to listen uh, into your 1881 podcast, and, and I'm glad that you're getting this thing started. And I appreciate you inviting me to be your first guest. Uh, it's it's going to be awesome, Jack. You nailed it. Um, 1881, you know, it's just it's just right. It mm-hmm. just feels good. Um you know, this, this Hereford network that we have um, is large. Um, it goes across continents, uh, the people that have been touched by this breed. And we're going to try to take you through some of the people, some of the times. And uh, we're really excited about uh, the next episode uh, that we're going to air as a part of 1881. We're going to interview one of our really good commercial uh, producers that's been utilizing uh, Hereford genetics. That's Anton Hermes um, out there in eastern Colorado. And so we're excited to have have him be a part of the show. And uh, we really look forward to uh, where this is going to take us. Uh, if you have suggestions or if you'd like uh, some people to, to get on the podcast and uh, give a perspective, uh, feel free to reach out uh, to uh, myself or Taylor Bell here at the association, but uh, thanks for listening and uh, look forward to upcoming episodes here in the next few weeks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.